Hi, my name's Clifton. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Thank you, Peggy. That's the nicest things you've ever said about me. <laughs> we have it on tape, don't we? Uh, I, uh, I talked here 19 years ago. I hope I do better this time. Uh, long time to be invited back, you know. <laughs> I, I love this theme here, uh, but for the grace of God, I could have been lying on the beach this afternoon in the sun. Uh, I, I've been to this area, I think, four times, maybe five times. I've never seen the ground. It's just a white land. That's all it is. But I was grateful for the heat wave tonight. It was minus nine. Yeah. A real scorcher. <laughs> and 19 years ago, uh, I, I met the two original golden slippers, uh, uh, Ross and Cliff, and they're here tonight. And I saw them both here tonight. And I remember uh, Tommy Breen uh, had the... Three of us out there at a table the whole weekend I was here. I was over 15 years at that time, and I learned a lot that weekend. Boy, he, he could lay it on, that Tommy Breen. And uh, these two goofs were going... <laughs> the original golden slippers. Wouldn't that be a thing to carry around with you the rest of your life? And they gave me, and I still hangs on my in my den, uh, uh, the prairie flower, the golden slipper. Pressed and framed in glass. It's one of my great treasures. So, geez, I'm weeping already. Get a mop out here. For <laughs> I really uh, enjoyed the children's hour so far. Uh, Brent and uh, Tammy. Uh, it's the grown-ups' time now. <laughs> <laughs> the elder generation. Uh, they're real alcoholics, those two, though, aren't they? Woo! Uh, about the ninth time she went to prison, I thought, wise up for Christ's sakes! Jeez, you know? I'm not right, but... Yeah. We all had dinner together Friday night at some expensive restaurant at your expense. Uh, and I'd like to thank you for that. Uh, and I sat next to Brent. And, you know, you saw him. I mean, he's young and he's handsome, you know, and he's virile. Uh, I didn't much care for him right away. Uh, he didn't catch on with me right away, I'll tell you. And then he told me his ambitions in life was to go to keep going to school and doing the things and become a fireman and rush into burning, this is his exact word, and rush into burning buildings to save people and repel from helicopters. So I knew he needed psychiatric treatment right away. But uh, he gave a great talk, didn't he? At four and a half years, I could say, my name's Cliff. I'm an alcoholic. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm so grateful so many of you turned out to hear my Al-Anon. 
You know how they introduce us. Have you met my alcoholic? Sit up, boy. Sit up. Sit up. <laughs> Tell them how long you've been sober. But I, uh, another thing I admire about this particular roundup or convention, whatever conference, whatever you call it, uh, is that they really turn out to hear the Al-Anon speaker too. And I, uh, I think it's wonderful. Uh, in a lot of places they don't. Uh, my wife and I, kid, they put them on at nine in the morning, call it the Al-Anon ghetto. <laughs> Nobody comes. Jesus, <laughs> this. Uh, both, uh, Brent and, T- and Tammy, though, you kind of, you kind of bothered me. They both talked about all the fun we used to have drinking, you know. They both told it very funny, but they didn't say it right. They didn't pronounce it right. Cause I was a real fun drinker. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta say it right, huh? Yeah. Alanons have fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, we had lots of fun last night, didn't we? <laughs> we have Fine! <laughs> Love to say that in AA meeting, huh? Fine! All our eyes glaze over, they all go, oh, I got a little slobber runs out of your Because you're the only people in the world who know what I'm talking about. Fine! Get beaten to a pulp and go to jail. Finding your car at the bottom of a ravine in the morning. Remember that? With you in it. Oh, I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. Just damn near died of it. One more, one more good time and have a different speaker tonight. You know what I mean? I mean, fun just about killed me. Because I couldn't resist it, could you? I could not resist fun. Oh, even that last horrible, rotten, stinking couple of years. Remember that? Everybody remembers the last couple of years. Remember? Get up in the morning, call Ralph. Ralph. I hate that when you get down to just you and Ralph. I hate that part. My old man told me if you eat breakfast and go to work, you're not an alcoholic. <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> he never said a word about puking breakfast back up, so. <laughs> and I'd go off, and I was a school teacher, I'd go off, and I was working for this jerk who was out to get me. And he'd get me. All day he'd get me and get me and get me. And then I'd go home, and I was married to her. And I had all these long-haired, doping children, and uh, oh, life was bad. It was bad. And I'd go in the bedroom, get out that pistol. Did you have a pistol? To oh, is that a pistol? Just gonna check and see if the barrel was still cold. Just then, old Cliff would come by and say, "Hey, Cliff." Let's go have some fun. <laughs> and I'd say, oh! 
And you new guys who got the books tonight, that's called alcoholism. <laughs> Failed to recall with sufficient force the tragedy of the night before. And uh, I've always been an alcoholic. I've sponsored people in AA who were social drinkers. <laughs> Whatever that is, you know, they and then they crossed the invisible line. And when I was 16, I took a big snort of 10 high and crossed the invisible line. That was it. That was my social drinking. I became an alcoholic. And I've always drank alcohol. I don't know what social drinkers do. I don't care. I don't like them. Did you ever drink with those weenies? Have you drunk with those weenies? You know, you take the cap off, you go, they say, I'll get it. <laughs> what the hell's that about? I don't trust people like that. I just don't trust people like that. And uh, so I've always been an alcoholic. I've always drank alcoholically. And that's just the way it is. Now, I'm a functioning alcoholic. We had a couple of losers here earlier. Uh, prison time. And was the other guy was in the other stuff. Uh, but I'm not that way. I'm, I represent the 95 to 97 percent of the people who die of the disease of alcoholism. The experts tell us. <laughs> I love the experts, don't you? I don't know who the hell they are, but they're experts. <laughs> there are PhDs who are still drinking. Okay. Uh, I think they all live in Fresno, California. That's my opinion. But they say, the experts say that 95 to 97 percent of us that die of the disease of alcoholism, who become dead from alcoholism, are people like what? Functioning alcoholics. People who get up every day and go to work and do the job and do it better than you. Who do it better than anybody. I'm a goer and a doer and an achiever. I'm a functioning alcoholic. My buddy at home says a functioning alcoholic is one whose wife works. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell that in an Al-Anon meeting either. Oh, no, that that pisses them off. Uh, yeah, it makes them go. You married guys, you remember that? Don't you think you had a few too many? Just to say you had a few too few, that's your problem, isn't it? <laughs> have a couple to loosen up for God's sake. <laughs> and and this, this one was a counter. That's your fifth one today. Uh, shut up and eat your breakfast, will you, and leave me there. Oh. <laughs> but I met my Al-Anon uh, in college. Uh, she was down on Skid Row looking for an alcoholic to abuse her. And, uh, 
you're looking to be abused. You got your boy here. <laughs> you got the right guy. And uh, we entered this 20-year suicide pact together. Uh, this month, we're going to be married 54 years. <laughs> if she lets us. Uh, but uh, we had that, as she told you this afternoon, we had that dreaded dual disease. We had alcoholism and Catholicism. Consequently, we had a kid every nine months and 20 minutes. <laughs> Greatest losers of Vatican roulette the world has ever known. Seemed like every time I come out of a blackout. <laughs> Who the hell is that? And they're all right when they're little. Like kittens. <laughs> But they grow. And the older they got, the weirder they got. And uh, God knows the weirder she got. And uh, I was the head nut. And I taught for three years up there in Manteca in the valley there. And then uh, we moved to Oceanside, California. That's just 30 miles north of San Diego, uh, right on the Blue Pacific. And we moved there in 1961, and I'm going to die there. I'm not going to freeze to death, I'll guarantee it. Uh, <laughs> no offense. Uh, <laughs> but I became, a, a, if it's not an oxymoron, a very successful teacher. Uh, I uh, was a good teacher, a high school teacher, good at it, loved it. Kids loved me, I loved the kids some. But he asked my wife one time, why is your, your husband such a good teacher? She said he's a very well-educated adolescent. <laughs> I hate it when they're accurate and cruel, don't you? Uh, but anyway, as I say, I was, uh, you know, doing the job. Of course, after uh, being, being a macho guy, as I am, <laughs> uh, was... Uh, I think the final thing was seeing Don Zimmer try to attack that guy during the series thing. He's younger than me. Forget it. Uh, I took him by the head with <laughs> I said, I don't think I'll fight anymore. Uh, anyway, I became a surfer because of a surfer dude. And, uh, oh, I love surfing. Oh, I love surfing. It's a wonderful, wonderful sport. But anyway, another surfer dude and I, another teacher, we decided we'd get this surfboard shop one summer and uh, down on the beach, rent surfboards, give surf lessons, repair surfboards, sell surfboards, make a fortune, never have to teach school again. Sound alcoholic to you? Yeah. <laughs> and this mayor of the town donated this little building right on the beach. I mean, right on the water. Can you imagine? For two budding drunks. The building was all beat up, but we fixed it. We put windows in it, painted it up, got a refrigerator. Uh, <laughs> a few months later, we got some surfboards, too. <laughs> oh, we loved that place. I mean, it was on the water, right on the sand. You Beautiful. We became sunset connoisseurs. We had these two chaise lounge chairs. I was the mixer. 
We used to measure sunsets by martinis. I used to say, it looks like about an eight tonight. What do you <laughs> Somebody come down and say, I'd like to rent a surfboard. Screw off, Charlie. We're watching the sunset. <laughs> oh. One time, one time we had a 15 martini sunset. Oh, you should have seen it. It was glorious. And the sun and Woody and I went right together. <laughs> <laughs> they found us in the morning with sunburned mouth. Remember that? <laughs> that should be on the 20 questions. Yeah. <laughs> you ever had a sunburned mouth? No, get the hell out of here, pal. You ain't ready yet. You know, come back when you're ready. And we did great. We did great in this shop down there at the beach. But winter came. And it was February of 1965, and I went down to repair a board on a Sunday morning, freezing cold. <laughs> Telling you about it. it must have been 50. Then <laughs> 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 it was cold for us. And I, I, it was Sunday morning, and I had a hangover. Oh, don't kid it yet. And uh, I was thirsty. <laughs> and... Uh, I went to the refrigerator to see if there was a Coke or something in there. And my buddy had been there the night before, and he left about this much vodka in a half pint. And there was some orange juice in the refrigerator. And I thought, oh, that would put the fire out. Now, I wasn't a morning drinker in 1965, but that looked good. And I felt so lousy, I mixed up that little drink. I'm telling this for the guys that lined up here tonight and got a book. Would you have done that on your first? Come up to the front of the room. <laughs> I admire you. I really do. I think you're still drunk. That's what I think. Uh, not really. I'm joking. I know you're sensitive. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And anyway, I had this terrible hangover, so I just, there was, it was like a half a shot of vodka, you know, one half of a, and I mixed it up and I drank this orange juice with the vodka in it, and I went out about my business and I'm standing on the surfboard and, uh, about 20 minutes went by. And you know, that little bit of vodka got in my bloodstream and just went, you know, circulate around, then it went, and my mind talked to me. My mind said, shame on you, Cliff. Shame, shame, shame. That was Woody's booze you drank. <laughs> You're way ahead of me here. Why don't you go up to the liquor store, you know, and get your pal Woody a pint. That's the kind of guy I am, I'll tell you, huh? That afternoon, I got Woody a fifth. And you know what happened. I just ended up falling down, resin all over me. The board was screwed forever. Crawled home on my hands and knees, dead drunk. And got up the next morning and called Ralph for an inordinate amount of time. And I said to my then pre-Alanon wife, she had that pre-Alanon tick in the eye, by the way. Uh, 
I said, I got to do something about my drinking. I'm getting drunk, but I don't even mean to. And she had cut this little thing out of the paper about the A&A. Only ad we've ever had, if you're new. Only ad we've ever had. If you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to quit, come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Beautiful, huh? We're not a treatment center. We're not a drying out joint. We're not a good do-good system. Hell, we're not even very nice people. <laughs> but if you want to quit drinking, we'll go to the ends of the earth for you if you want to quit. If you'd rather drink, we have a salute. <laughs> uh, have at it, pal. I don't care. So anyway, I called the A&A. Very small in those days. There was like 12 meetings in the whole North County. There are 650 now. So anyway, there were 12 then, and they were populated by, it seemed to me, retarded people. <laughs> you know, in a couple of days, I realized I'd been a grievous error in judgment here. I had been hasty. Uh, I mean, these guys, were, they had the collective IQ of an orange. <laughs> I tried to help him. Uh, and about the third night, I'm laying a little Nietzsche on him, and uh, this guy says to me, Hey, we keep it simple here. Uh, <laughs> I said, No shit. <laughs> you could have fooled me, Leroy. <laughs> So I hung around for a few months, and then I, then I resigned from AA. Have you ever done that? Really upsets them, doesn't it? Cliff who? Uh, but then, uh, for the next five years, I became an AA loser. And I never want to forget this part of my story. I was a, a overeducated, pompous, ass, smirking loser. I would come to AA for 40 days and then be drunk for two years. Now, that's a slip. Uh, <laughs> then I would come for a year and a half, or I mean, I'd come for 30 days and be drunk for a year and a half. In and out and in and out and in and out. And always sitting at the back of the room, always sitting there in my smug, overeducated pomposity, smirking. I can't even do the smirk anymore. I try to do it in the mirror. I can't do it. That's why I like to go to nut houses and jails. The only place you can see the smirk anymore. You know? uh, I'm going home now. <laughs> smirk away, loser. And... Uh, so anyway, and, and things got worse. They always get worse. They always get worse. But I'm a functioning alcoholic. The week I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, this time, I weighed 163 pounds. 4% body fat. I know because they used to get it measured all the time. You should surf for like three hours and then get out and run five miles. I could bench press 285. Took me 25 minutes to pass a mirror. 
For God's sake, don't ask me for directions. I say it's right over there. My daughters used to get money from me all the time. Whenever I didn't have a shirt on, which was most of the time, one of them would come up and say, Oh, V up for me, Daddy. V up. Oh, oh, can I have $5? Oh, yeah, sure. I hate to tell you, I was two years sober before I figured that out. So if you're new tonight, AA is maybe twice the man I used to be. What do you mean an alcoholic? I'm in shape. Ah, my liver's going all right, but the rest of me is in shape. I'm an Adonis, for God's sakes. What do you mean alcoholic? I was one of the top three debate coaches in the United States when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> That's an honor uh, roughly equivalent to being one of the top three prostitutes in Elko, Nevada. You know? <laughs> But amongst speech coaches, it's a big deal. You know. Apologies to any former prostitutes here tonight. Uh, uh, I became one of the top speech coaches in the nation by mistake. Uh, the principal called me in one day, years before I got sober, and uh, he'd gotten a flyer in the mail about a debate tournament, which was being held uh, 30 miles down the road at San Diego State College, just 30 miles away. I was teaching a speech class. He said, why don't you take some kids from your class? I think that would really be good for them. You ought to do that. That was in big trouble, you know, weren't we always? Uh, I said, oh, what a good idea. Uh, uh, so I found about four dummies wanting to give it a go, and we went down the road to San Diego State College. We were amazed. There were like 500 contestants in these contests, 50 schools, all the boys were in three-piece suits, vests and ties, girls in these lovely business clothes. We're in Levi's and sweatshirts. What the hell do we know? And they killed us. We got slaughtered. I mean, we did not win a round. I mean, they ground us in a church, what they did. I don't kind of drunk you are, but I don't care for losing. It ticks me off to lose. And I went in the coach's room. There were about 20 of them in there, and they're all old buddies. They've been pals. They've been doing this for years. They love their compadres, and they snubbed me. It seemed to me. <laughs> so I hung around all day. They snubbed you longer that way. You know how we are. <laughs> One guy there really pissed me off. He had a lot of hair. That bothered me. Right <laughs> Beautiful hair. You know that steel gray hair? Gorgeous steel gray hair. Nine barbers to get it right. He had about a thousand dollar suit on and the other coaches did this when they went in front of him and uh, about two in the afternoon this guy turns to me, he says, uh, where are you from? God, I was grateful to be spoken to finally. I said, Ocean Sock. And he said, Oh, where's that? 
30 miles up the road. <laughs> Where's that? I don't know what kind of drunk you are, but he gave me a resentment. <laughs> I went back to Oceanside High and took me several years, but I built me a speech team. <laughs> I built a juggernaut speech team is what I did. I built a powerhouse speech team, and I did it with sheer hatred. <laughs> you know how much work that is to make 200 people do what they don't want to do? I mean, that'll wind you up, baby. I'm in in their faces screaming and yelling all day. I'm clenching. The guy next door said, I'd love to watch them leaving your room wiping the spit off their glasses. <laughs> the reporter, a reporter said to my captain, what's the secret of your coach's success? The kid said, terror. <laughs> She wasn't lying. Hey, she's the chairman of the speech department and the chancellor of women's studies at San Francisco State College today. Didn't do her any harm. A few bruises on her butt, perhaps. That's about it. You know, I always felt so sorry for Bobby Knight. They fired him for choking one guy. You know, and it was a guy. And uh, Oh, that's hard work. That is hard work. I go from 7 in the morning till 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, in their faces, screaming and yelling. And I don't eat all day. Remember I told you? I'm a functioning alcoholic. I don't eat all day. I drink like 400 cups of coffee. <laughs> and I stay pissed off. <laughs> in the glove compartment of my car, seal unbroken, unopened bottle of hot vodka. <laughs> Didn't touch it all day. Didn't go near it all day. Just lie there in that glove compartment getting hot. Call it to me. Go get him, Cliff, baby. I'm waiting, darling. <laughs> I love to talk about hot vodka at Al-Anon meetings. <laughs> but you and I know. <laughs> and anyway, I'd finish with that last kid in the evening. Good night, Miss Rooks. <laughs> I'd lurch out to the car and open up that hot vodka. Like one of those cheap stogies I smoked in those days. I don't know about you, but I always drank half the half pint. Just... Is there anything in the world like hot fudge? Into the bloodstream. Puff on that stogie in the darkness of my car. Damn, you're a good coach. And I'd finish my half pint and sit there. In my 58 Chevy. <laughs> and I'd have my eight minutes. And all the times that I was an AA loser, in and out, in and out, I never once told you about the eight minutes. After I drink about 40 minutes, 
Uh, I don't know what it's like for you. I don't have the voice to tell you what it's like for you. It was my story. After I drink about 40 minutes, something happens to me. And I have about eight minutes where everything in my life is all right. There's nothing wrong with me or you for about eight minutes. Uh, I'm enough for eight minutes. And I almost died for that eight minutes. I almost gave my life for that eight minutes a day. If you would have stopped me on the street and said, what's serenity? I would have said, it's about eight minutes, 40 minutes into my drinking. Because that's the only serenity I've ever known. I was raised in an alcoholic zoo. I've been crazy my whole life. I've lived on the edge of psychosis from the time I remember. But eight minutes a day, it was okay. And I could not stand to live without that eight minutes. When I have my eight minutes and I drive home and really start drinking, and we're talking the late 60s by now, okay? And I'm a raging drunk by now. I get home and I really start drinking. I'm a mean drunk and a sarcastic drunk and a very, very violent drunk. And I'm just a crazy-making drunk. And we all, our kids are crazy. My oldest son is working his way through high school as a hedgy salesman. <laughs> Never had to give him any spending money, I'll guarantee you. Hit him up for a fifth about once a week. Yeah, Dad, what do you need? <laughs> had hair down to his butt, you know, his head went like this all the time. <laughs> Call his mother, man. Hey, man, what's for dinner? <laughs> and Pat was telling you, he loved the LSD, you know. I didn't even know it. I, I was so far into my cups, I didn't know it was anything wrong. You know, I just thought he was nuts. But I'd be talking to him, right in the middle of the sentence, he'd say, what was that? <laughs> of course, the shape on me, and I'd say, I don't know, what was it? <laughs> then my drunken mother-in-law explained it to us. <laughs> and we would listen to the explanation. And my daughter's head boyfriends looked exactly like my son. The three of them used to get on the couch together. That would make you barf. The little kids just wet the bed and walked into walls. And everybody was insane. It was a zoo. It was a nut house. It was too late. No human power could have relieved my family. But I built that speech team. And in a couple of years, my team... Won one of those tournaments. But I didn't say anything to the gray-haired guy. It wasn't time yet. <laughs> we know when it's time. <laughs> I think revenge is better than Christmas. <laughs> the next year, there were 12 or 14 tournaments. My team took first place in every single tournament. Then the next year, there was a tournament. There were 25 schools competing in the tournament. And my team scored more sweepstakes points than the other 24 schools combined. (laughs) (laughs) 
Then I went up to the gray-haired guy. Remember him? Huh? I put my nose right against his, and I said, Do you know where Oceanside is now? He just looked blank. He says, what are you talking about? I said, don't you remember about four or five years ago, you said to me, Oceanside, where's that? And he said, we just moved here from Nebraska. I didn't know where it was. The story of my life. This guy's in his bed in San Diego for four or five years every night. I'm up in Ocean said, I'll get you, yes! Get you! He didn't know! He had no idea the vodka I drank had him. There's a story I very rarely tell, but you guys are special. I'm going to tell you this story my wife goes with you. This is just a couple of years ago now, so well I am. I had a little prostate trim. <laughs> uh, I told her this story, I thought she was going to pee herself. And anyway, this guy, who was a butcher, he screwed it all up. I felt it. So I suffered in silence for a long time, and finally one day I just picked up the phone and called a doctor. A little girl came out and said, the doctor's office. said, this is Cliff Roach. I said, that quack screwed me all up. And I told her about my pain, where it was, <laughs> where it moved to, how it felt. I did about ten minutes screaming and yelling. Wound it up by saying, I even pissed the bed. I didn't do that when I was drunk, for Christ's sake. <laughs> and she said, Mr. Roach, this is your eye doctor. <laughs> So if you're new, so if you're new, don't expect us to get all well right away. <laughs> Hell, I only have 34 years. But this gal and I, that's the growth though. This gal and I laughed till we almost got sick on the phone. And her name was Evelyn and I went to the eye doctor a few weeks later. <laughs> and I went in and I said, where's Evelyn? And, uh, and they said, over there. I said, Evelyn. She, I said, this, I'm Mr. Roach. And, and Evelyn went. And everybody else in the office went. Uh, what a fink. Now, Evelyn and I have had some good laughs over that, I'll tell you. <laughs> but uh, right about that time, Pat and I had one of our main events which the neighbors have come to miss so much. Uh, our neighbors got never got television until after I got sober. They didn't need television. We were the entertainment for the neighborhood. Were you? He's coming back! He's coming back! 
Y'all hit those Venetian blind marks on their forehead. Oh, we were entertaining. But this dive we really had, and I threatened to move out again. Everybody said, yeah. hey, no more then. And so I moved out. And I'm living down at the beach where I'd wanted to live anyway with my surfboard. I'd said for years if I'd get rid of that witch <laughs> and those long-haired dope-fiend children, I could drink like a gentleman again. And it wasn't working out. I was drunk all the time. I was missing work, which has always been my badge of honor. And I'd go to work every day, and I was missing work, and I, life was slipping between my fingers. I went by the house one afternoon to harangue Pat about money, and the hashy salesman was kind of bobbing in the background there, <laughs> humming a tune from the planet Pluto. And uh, as I look back on it, probably the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. I, uh, I turned to him and I said, Dave, what's it like not to have your old man around the house? Dumb question. Because <laughs> old Dave looked me right in the eye and he said, it's beautiful. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know it for another hour or so, but uh, that's my bottom. No prisons. <laughs> no nut houses. Not even a treatment center. Damn. I told my sponsor I needed to treat me. He says, I'll give you that treatment. <laughs> and he did. But I uh, I lost the respect of a 16-year-old kid. And what I realized that afternoon when I went and sat and watched the most beautiful sunset that I've ever seen, about the time that the sun was going down into the water, I saw what my son saw. And I saw that I had traded in my own self-respect a long time before he could respect me. You know, I'd given up everything I ever liked about myself for the privilege of drinking booze. And I went in the bedroom and dug out the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. They had this old sea bag where I kept stuff I didn't use. In one of my travels through the program, I had read it, and being an English teacher, I thought it was very poorly written. <laughs> oh, I'd read better this time. <laughs> Nothing like death staring you in the face to make you a good reader. And I read the big book. Are you new tonight? I read the big book for three days and three nights. I called in sick. I didn't go to work. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I read it cover to cover. I read all the stories. I read the appendix in the back. And in the second edition, there was a story called The Professor and the Paradox. And he saved my life. And on the 13th of January, 1970, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was on page 63 again. And on page 63, if you're new tonight, there's a little prayer and that prayer is step three. I always called it the formal terms of surrender. And I knelt down on that filthy linoleum floor on that dump on the beach where I was living. And I read that prayer out loud to myself. I read, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage 
of self. And uh, I looked up the word bondage when I was new. It means slavery. Relieve me of the bondage of self. And I had a spiritual experience there on that linoleum floor on the 13th of January, 1970, and I've never had to have a drink again. Now, you know, for 30-some years... For like 32 years, I've tried to think of the way to tell you what happened to me, and it wasn't anything like Bill had. It wasn't, you know, the wind and all that stuff. I just knew I was going to be all right. I just knew. I was not in charge of my life anymore. I knew that. But this little girl in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the grapevine two years ago, she did exactly what I did only 30 years later. She knelt, she was 17 years old in the treatment center. She knelt down in that treatment center and read that prayer out loud to herself, just as I had 30 years before. And she said in the Grapevine article, I was engulfed by a great laughing love. There it is. I got to see her in Cincinnati. I damn her hugged her to death. She thought I was a dirty old man. Oh, huh? <laughs> well, I am, but I... Uh, <laughs> I was engulfed by a great laughing love. Man, if that doesn't sum it up. And that evening, I was at Bill Blake's house. My pet, my wife Pat told you a little bit about knowing you were here. A little form of wino. There in the streets of Oceanside, had eight years sobriety, AA fanatic. He always tried to help me when I was in and out of AA. I thought he was a weirdo. Stay away. That night I'm at their house. The loser. Five-year loser in and out. Overeducated, pompous ass. Loser! Margie, Bill's wife, opened the door. Here I am on the porch. Are you new tonight? I have never seen anyone... So glad to see me in my life. This loser. She saw me. She just lit up like a Christmas tree. Snatched me in the house. Poured me a cup of coffee. Says, oh, this is wonderful. Oh, this is great. She said, Bill's been crazy lately. He's had nobody to work with all this stuff. You know, then Bill comes in. Clap! About a half an hour, I'm thinking, anything I can do to help you folks out, I'll be glad to help any way I can. <laughs> they made me feel like Cliff's here, we can start AA now, you know? But you know, two or three weeks later, I was in a newcomer meeting, and one of the other newcomers said, what do you mean this is a selfish program? And when the guy asked the question, I knew the answer. I was given the answer the night I got here. See, they were glad for me. They'd been praying for me for five years. But they were more glad for Bill and Margie because they knew the great secret. You can't have it unless you give it away. You can't keep it unless you're willing to give it away. My little sponsor had this theory that he taught to me. He believed everybody who comes to AA... Uh, has that alcoholism, we take care of that. And everybody who comes here has their own brand's goofiness. 
He used to say, we got a wrench that'll fit every nut. <laughs> and AA will take care of that too. But he also believed that everybody who comes to AA has a gift of some kind or gifts. Something you can do better than most people or better than anyone or at least as, as good as anyone. And I, and I don't know what your gift is. Uh, and if you think mine is just standing in a microphone talking, then you better follow me around at home. My little sponsor was the worst speaker in the history of AA. He was awful. He never got out of World War II. Well, one time he bought this watch. He was still in World War II, about a half an hour. And went, dang, he said, oh, then I got sober. Uh, <laughs> But you put my little sponsor in the front seat of a car with a newcomer, he was magic. Nobody escaped him. He was the greatest 12-stepper in the history of the world. And let's face it, folks, AA didn't become almost 3 million now from 2 in a little over 60 years. Didn't become... We, we bring what we've got. We bring what we've got. You know, and I don't know what your gift is. This guy down here, he knows what I'm talking about. He's bringing his gifts. And the guys who worked all year on this thing so we could have a good time this weekend, they know what I'm talking about. And the guys that make the coffee, they know what I'm talking about. Mostly, though, it's the 12-step work. And by the way, that was the last nice thing my sponsor ever said to me as long as he lived. I, the, next, the next five years, the kindest thing Bill ever said to me was, Shut up! Can you imagine? Shut up! I told him, I have degrees, you know. He says, so does a thermometer. You know where they stick that sometimes, I thought the first step was, shut up and get in the car! Just shut up and get in the car in the back seat on the hump! See, there's a method to that too. If you're the, if you're the hump rider, you become a 12 stepper then. You find you a new guy. Come with us, come with us. In the middle! I'm on the window now, baby. Oh, he was cruel to me. He was just viciously cruel to me. She loved it. <laughs> and, you know, and as I look back, thank God, I wouldn't be here today if that guy had been trying to be kind to me. Now, maybe if you're new, you need kindness. <laughs> Don't come to me if you do, I'll guarantee it. Oh, he was so cruel. But you know, I want to tell you, the guy took me to a meeting every night for two years. And he took me all over Southern California. He took me to meetings in Los Angeles. His sponsor was Clancy. So we had to go up there twice a week, a hundred miles each way. We went to Laguna every Monday night where these old guys would rip me to shreds. The original members of AA in Southern California. Because <laughs> I was a whiner. You didn't whine when you knew, did you? <laughs> they just go, ah! <laughs> And then coming back from that meeting one night, I told my sponsor that I was sensitive. <laughs> and that's, that's always been my problem. I'm artistically sensitive. 
And I told him that, and he said, no, you're not sensitive. You're an immature son of a bitch, that's what you are. <laughs> and I have found that the steps work a lot better when you're immature. So if you're new and you're sensitive, trade it in for immature. The steps work a lot better that way. And anyway, he would take me to meetings all over Southern California, and he took me to meetings, he knew me. He took me to meetings where people were laughing. He wanted, he wanted me to hear you laugh. Oh, the laughter of Alcoholics Anonymous. I think that's why we have these things. So we would laugh for a weekend. You know what I mean? Is there anything better? Were you laughing when you got here? I was not laughing when I got here. <laughs> the only way I could laugh for like the last two years of my drinking was like, <laughs> <laughs> That's if you fell down and got hurt. <laughs> I was sober three days up in L.A. and this guy was talking. I went, ah, what was that? <laughs> Like stitches tearing there in my stomach. And I've been laughing ever since. You know, if you're new and they're not laughing in your meeting, go to another meeting. Oh, the I sponsor guy, they love those gray tunnel meetings. You know what I mean? They like pain. You know, sobriety's this long gray tunnel and you trudge down. <laughs> Every year a trap door opens and a cake comes down. <laughs> Don't hold the meeting for me, I ain't coming. Oh, I love the laughter of Alcoholics and Nuns. I think laughter is the spiritual part of the program. I think it is the heat. Nothing I laugh at will ever come back and haunt me again. Nothing I laugh at will ever come back and bite me on the butt. Now I'm through with it because now it's funny. Huh? I like to get me a new guy. You know when they're doing the countdown. Oh, I, forget. I always remember the story. I took this guy 12 nights in a row. I took him to a meeting. And in Southern California, they probably do that here too. They'd say at the beginning, anybody in their first 30 days of sobriety, will you raise your hand or stand up or whatever, you know. Twelve nights in a row I took this newcomer. He never stood up, never raised his hand. So finally on the twelfth night I said, why in the hell don't you raise your hand? He said, I'm not sober. <laughs> I said, oh, wow, all right. I didn't take any more goddamn meetings either, uh. But I have to get me a new scuzzbag guy, you know, and take me to a meeting, and take him to another meeting, and take him to another meeting, and take him to another meeting. About the 12th or 13th meeting one night, he goes, <laughs> Gotcha! I gotcha now! So if you're new tonight and you've been laughing, you're screwed. <laughs> Pat and I get these brand new Alanons. We take them to AA speaker meetings like this. They get her in between us so she can't escape. You know, and it goofs up here talking. He says, I fell in the Christmas tree and smashed all the presents. You know, we all go, yeah. Oh, this little Alan on sitting there. Not funny to her. Well, we take her to another meeting tomorrow night, you know. And one night she throws her head back and laughs, and I don't care. 
AA or Al-Anon, once we get you laughing here, you belong to us then because you know you fit. You know you fit. And that little sponsor of mine, as I say, he was so cruel. Whatever was wrong in my life, whatever was wrong in my life, and I had lots wrong in my life. I owed like a billion dollars and I didn't have a brass razoo. She wouldn't go to Al-Anon, had a bad mouth, had all these doping children flailing around. And I would go to his house and I'd pound on the door and he would come to the door. And I would say, you know what they're doing over there now? <laughs> come in, Cliff. Tell me all about it. And I would sob out the whole dreary story. And, and he would listen. You know how they listen? <laughs> I, I found through the years it's good to make a little noise once in a while. Huh? <laughs> mm. <sighs> but I would just, you know, he let me just do it all, and I'd finally just get down to the end. <laughs> and he would say, "Why don't you go get Al and take him to the meeting?" <laughs> in the hell has that got to do with a nervous breakdown? That makes no sense at all. It's like asking a guy, what time is it? He says, the horse is dead. <laughs> but if you knew, remember I told you on my knees that morning, I turned it all over. I quit. I was out of plans of my own. And if you're new, I hope that God you're out of plans. And so I would do what the old fool told me to do, knowing for what meant nothing. So I'd go get Al, and he was a ten-year loser. I was only a five-year loser. He was a big blowhard jerk, and I despised him. He had no driver's license, of course. <laughs> and I'd drive Al to the meeting, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we'd set the meeting up, everybody'd come, everybody'd go home, we'd set the meeting down, wash the coffee pots, you know. We had real cups. He was so shaky he had to wash, you know, he just put his hands in the water. <laughs> but I could dry, hey. You know, when you're new you gotta feel better than somebody. <laughs> I'd load the bull hard in the car and drive him home, blah, 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 blah. And I'd let Al off, see? And I'd start driving home, and this feeling would come over me. I'd just start here, and I'd just spread out. Oh, God, it felt good. Better than the eight minutes ever was. It scared the hell out of me, but it only lasts 40 seconds or so, you know. <laughs> I thought it was because I got rid of Al. But he made me stand at the door and greet people, which I hated because I'm a snob. But I did it every night. And he made me mop floors after people stood. We used to have wall talkers. Did you have them in the old days? Uh, Cliff, remember the guys that drank too long and used to sit in the back row and just go, <laughs> We used to call them wall talkers. They make them GSRs now. Uh, <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> and uh, 
As soon as the meeting was over, he'd say, go take the, say hello to the wall talkers. <laughs> I'd go back here and say, how are you tonight? I can hack what I was Good, good afternoon. <laughs> Took me on all these 12-step calls with him, you know, action after action after action. You know, all my life, I had known what's wrong with me. I suppose you didn't know what's wrong with you, too. All my life, I've known. I was never loved enough. And I heard that from Tammy, and I heard it from, from Brent. You know, we're all alone here. I, I was never loved enough. That was my whole problem always. I was raised in that alcoholic zoo. A lot of people tried to love me. And my sponsor knew that that was my problem, but except he knew my problem was not my problem. He knew my problem had always been I never loved enough. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know where to start. To learn how to love. You know, you can't love a person like me enough. There isn't enough. Now, there's not enough fruit loops for me, much less love. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm the black hole of love. It goes in there, you never see it again. You got everybody in the world, China everywhere, said, let's love Cliff. Oh. I say, is that it? Is that all? <laughs> but see, he knew my problem was I, did, I never loved it all. I didn't know how to love. And so what he did is he made me take loving actions against my better judgment. And one night I'm standing at the door when you came in. I knew your name. And when I asked you how you were, I wanted to know. And after I'd gone to 12-step calls, when I'd seen the light come on in guys' eyes, and see them start their life start to change, and I became interested in them. And one thing after another after another, until finally I became a lover, <coughs> as my sponsor was. You know, when I was in, going from into my first master's degree, the counselor said to me, looking at my records, he said, oh, you're a philosophy minor. I said, no, I'm not. I'm a history minor. He said, oh, you have more philosophy units than you do history. I went, and it was true. I guess I was looking for an answer my whole life. And I have studied every great philosopher and theologian the world has ever known. I studied them. Now that I'm looking back on it, Every one of those great theologians said the same thing. They all said exactly the same thing. They say, the way to be happy is to love, not to be loved. Every one of them said, the way to be happy is to love. And I had to learn it from an electrician. (laughs) But he knew how to put it. Shut up and get in the car! <laughs> uh, I was sober a, a couple of years, a uh, year and a half, I guess, and uh, one night Clancy was talking, and he said, treat your kids like newcomers. <laughs> what a philosophy. So I went home that night and said, you want the kids? No. My higher power has done a tremendous job with our children. Uh, I think the growth and the development of our children 
in the program has been far more uh, responsible because of my wife's Al-Anon program. I like to tease Al-Anons, because they're easy. You know. uh, but I adore Al-Anon. It's one of the most powerful organizations the world has ever known. I honor Al-Anon. I have the greatest respect in the world for Al-Anon. And if you don't, you must have done your drinking in the Dead Sea Caves. You know what I mean? If you never hurt anybody in your life, then you probably should ignore Al-Anon. But anyway, my kids all went through whatever they had to go through. And we left them alone. You know, whatever, you know, all of the people in our area, when they have trouble with their kids, they say, go see the roaches. <laughs> our dark past is our greatest asset. Our youngest son now has 16 years of sobriety, or 15, going on 16 years of sobriety. And he's just a terrific guy. He's a wonderful man. He's just a stand-up guy. Uh, we, Pat mentioned our middle daughter, Jan, had about 11 years and got a back problem and started taking pills. And Now, I have no opinion on pills. They'll cut you off in the sunlight of the spirit and kill your ass dead, but I have no opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then she drank on top of the onion, but now she has three years again. And she just, she sits right behind me at my home group so that she can remind me of the back. Uh, and the hashy salesman, he's the vice president of an international corporation. <laughs> he was an agriculture major. We don't ask him what he grows. It's <laughs> unmarked. Pat said this afternoon he did his Peace Corps in Columbia. <laughs> And he has a drinking problem. Ah. And he almost died of alcoholism because he's a functioning alcoholic. Just like his daddy and just like his granddaddy. The last time he drank, he came very, very, very close to being dead. But he has three years of sobriety now. And he's doing fantastic. He, he travels all over the world. Uh, He's, a, he's an expert on growing coffee. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And he goes to Africa, and he goes to South America, and he goes to Central America, and everywhere he goes, he goes to meetings. He speaks Spanish fluently, so that helps in South America. But everywhere he goes, he, he finds an AA meeting, and now he's a GSR. He called me and told me he was a GSR, and I started crying. I couldn't stop. I'd take salt tablets. I cried so much. You know. <laughs> because, you know, back in all my buddies in the early days, I went into service. And I was a GSR and a DCM and the area treasurer and the area vice chairman and the area chairman. I was a New York delegate in panel 26. Spent all those hundreds of thousands of hours doing the service. And my buddies used to say, what the hell do you waste all your time with that crap for? They were real broad-minded. Uh, and I used to say to them back then, I used to say, I do it because I want AA to be here for my kids if they need it. And I don't want it to be some watered-down, psychologized bullshit. I want it to be the spiritual way of life that little electrician brought to me. I want it to be AA.
And so three of my kids then needed AA, and it was here. Same program that was given to me. And now both of my kids are GSRs. And so we got a couple of grandkids. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> you have to wait and see, don't we? But AA will be here for my grandkids or babies yet unborn. That's what we're doing here with each other. We're building this thing and keeping this thing for babies yet unborn. Uh, so, if you're new tonight, uh, you don't have to believe that uh, all the great things that have happened to Pat and I. That's why I love to travel together with her, because you can hear both sides of the story and see the, what happens with families when they come here. See, no human power could have relieved my family. But AA and Al-Anon, you know, we sought God through AA and Al-Anon in our family. We'll put our family against any family in the world today. Pat was talking to all our children are, you know, they're all, hell, they're middle-aged. But they're good people and good citizens and loving people who contribute to the world. And that's because of AA and Al-Anon. That's the only help we've ever had or needed. Uh, so if you're new tonight, you don't have to believe that every of the good things that have happened to us are going to happen to you. I didn't believe it when I was new. I believed it happened to Bill. <laughs> and so I hung around to see what would happen. And then I finally came to believe that it could happen to me. You do, if you're new, though, you do have to believe that it happened to me. That a sick, neurotic, crazy, crazy man lives just like that book promised me. Almost all the time, happy and joyous and free. And that's how I live. And I hope you do too.